0: Hello and welcome to another glorious episode of Pod of the Gaps. I am Aaron Edwards and I have with me uh, Michael Otts and Andy Bannister, whose names should be nameless, Uh, no they shouldn't be nameless, they should (laughs) remain nameless because they're so famous, they are Christian celebrities, uh, clearly, especially as a result of this this podcast I'm sure they will be. Um, How are you guys doing this week? Michael I noticed you've you've been, we we talked a lot about your um, baking habits last week and uh, we've we've got another update on this, haven't we? You're eating something quite interesting. Well, I've
1: just literally finished, but uh, yeah, so I made pork pies um, a couple of days ago and um, uh, yeah, basically I've got so bored in lockdown, I'm now kind of taking random things that you would normally just buy and never think of making and trying to work out how you make it and actually I was pleasantly surprised. Um. Uh. It. It kind of like tasted like a pork pie, which is pretty good.
2: There you go. That's so great. from. Uh, so from. From. Is that from baking habits to
0: bacon habits? Is there a kind of link? Ah, oh, look at oh, that. Okay. That's awful. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, but the listeners would be. They'd think this wasn't a part of the gaps if there wasn't a bad pun from the Bannister machine. You know, especially you, for you me. to put and it, fun-
2: Yeah, and it is interesting, isn't it? The stuff you do during lockdown because michael's been doing the baking and then and then for us well for me it's getting into you know doing my doing my own firewood because we put a wood burning stove in about 18 months ago we used to just be very lazy and and buy the wood but in lockdown i was like no i'm gonna be i'm gonna be i'm gonna manfully go out and, and and win back heating for my family from the elements and i've got into saws and axes and you know all kinds of paraphernalia and now yeah so quite proud that i have a garage full of my own Chopped wood. <laughs> I may not slaughter the pig. So, sorry this. for any vegetarians listening, um, but I have chopped me a wood.
0: There you it's go. Yeah. Well, clearly you guys just don't have enough children because uh, I don't have time over lockdown to uh, with five little ones. I don't have time to invent new baking skills. So <laughs> You're just How bringing up children. Like, yeah, that's, that's, that's what, quite just, enough. That's the thing. But we did actually find someone was uh, emptying a skip yesterday, which was like <laughs> the, the event of the year. Not emptying; they were filling a skip. Emptying would be weird. We'd we'd be at the dump wouldn't we um they were filling up a skip and there was all sorts of crazy stuff in there there was like um full-on Bosch drills like power power tool drills which I don't really know how to use but I thought these will come in handy why are they getting rid of all this amazing stuff so we were all kind of leaning in and my children were helping me uh, get, mm-hmm. get things out and then Molly was looking down over the uh, skip from from our flat above and going is that a tea set in there and and, and we like I think so most of it smashed, but we tried to recover. So we ended up recovering in the end a significant nineteen fifties tea set, which was then uh, you know spent the rest of the afternoon washing up and getting ready, which was uh, quite. So good. this is
2: not so much a part of the part of the gaps, as sting of the dump, to use a literary reference that probably <laughs> no, no, no one who grew up.
0: If you grew up in England in a certain time, you would know that book, but. Uh... There we go. Okay. Um, and speaking indeed of Part of the Gaps, it's interesting. This is, what is this, our eighth show, is it? It is our eighth we're show. Still, still and the banter going. is still bantering. But the, the, the banister is certainly still bantering. Bantering his way Thank down you. the banister. Um, and I noticed something interesting, actually, as I was looking for this. We started off saying this is going to be, we're going to go for sort of like 20 to 30 minutes, nice and you know snappy. Our first episode came in at 32 minutes. Second episode, 34 minutes episode three thirty seven minutes episode 4 43 minutes episode 5 47 minutes episode 6 51 minutes i don't know what episode 7 was i think it was 52 so are we gonna are we gonna reach our limit are we gonna get to 53 minutes or are we gonna go lower let's see what we can manage all of this is gonna happen
1: in a year's time if we're still going
0: <laughs> at this rate yeah i remember that yeah exactly welcome to the church dogmatics podcast <laughs> <laughs> the first ever 24 hour podcast get into a record that'll be fun anyway well so without further ado in case we do actually hit the 60 minute barrier um we should get on to our topic for today which is um about reading about why reading mm. matters what is the deal with reading why does it why is it a big deal why is it an important uh, thing to do i've noticed that um obviously we are in a very literate culture in the west today especially so people are reading more than ever to some extent and others would say they're reading less than ever, in to another extent. So uh, there's a lot There's a lot of text out there. There's a lot of lit- literary sources out there, often online. Um, and reading habits have changed, haven't they? Um, we, we do live in this kind of daily pressure of needing to feel the need to read. Uh, and some people perhaps don't read enough, whereas perhaps some are stressed about what they should be reading and, and aren't quite sure, need some guidance. So given as you two are... Both very uh, well-read people, especially—is this—is this a mean thing to say? You're very well-read for evangelists, because <laughs> <laughs> some might say there's another generation of evangelists which might have gone well. I don't need to read as much. I just need to mm. focus on getting the, the story out there. I know all I need to know, um, and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll pick up a bit on the way, but I don't need to. But you both actually make a real. You're very great examples of people who read very widely. Um, I'm not just looking at the Michael's shelf behind him and seeing, uh, well, actually... Mainly oh, the yeah. only planet guides, actually, <laughs> in the view behind away. me. <laughs> I can see the ESV study Bible. That's good. And I can see the Harry Potter series with the uh, ever-expansive spines for every... Later editions, she's ended up having no editorial help really uh, to cut it down. And then you've got a lot of travel guides, which you know that speaks for itself for your globe trotting. Barbados, Antigua, yeah. Canada, those kind of. <laughs>
2: yes, and I must say, just to return the compliment, um Aaron, you know, you are you are remarkably you know communicative for a theologian. Most theologians <laughs> I know speak in, speak in grunts and in Latin, and can hardly make themselves understood. But you use like normal words, what ordinary people can understand.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Well, it could be that we're either I'm a, a communicable theologian, or I'm just a bad theologian who hasn't learned enough. sounds like a disease, good. actually. Yeah.
2: I think communicable is diseases. Communicative is the word you wanted. A communicable oh, that was, theologian. That's, that's true. yeah. True.
0: <laughs> How ironic. That's right. Excellent. So anyway, let's let's get going on this. So you know, you both well read. You've both been talking about the ways in the previous episodes, things you've been reading um why you've been reading so let's talk about why why do you read why does reading matter and how does it work for you what have you been reading lately Michael why don't you kick well, us
1: off? yeah actually it's interesting you mentioned that Aaron in terms of you know you're well read for evangelists I know you were kind of slightly doing it in jest and slightly doing it um, seriously and actually for me um particularly a number of years ago when I was kind of looking at evangelists I often felt that you had this kind of like um dichotomy in the Christian world between kind of theologians and academics who were incredibly well read very cerebral but were just a bit dull <laughs> and maybe lacking passion to try and communicate the gospel and then you have people who were really fiery evangelists who were keen to challenge people to repent and believe but actually maybe the depth of their message wasn't that great and it was basically the same sermon regurgitated over and over again it a very good sermon but it was you know the same one they preached 10 years ago and that kind of thing and for me really the um the mentor and kind of model that really challenged me was working with Michael Green um, who was both an evangelist and a theologian?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, we spent about 10 years doing missions together. And one of the things I noticed about Michael is he had that fiery edge of an evangelist who, you know, he always used to say, you know, I want to electrify the fence upon which people sit. <laughs> you know, he wanted to challenge people to respond. Um, but he was also a theologian who was incredibly well read, who could give, you know, very thought-through answers to, to questions and so on. And so, really, it was his example that was a model to me and a challenge to me. And I was also particularly challenged. You know, he was in his eighties throughout the time I knew him, basically. Hmm. And yet, whenever I would use a quote that he hadn't heard, he would always want to know what book it came from, particularly if it was a contemporary book that he hadn't yet read. And he would go, "So, I want to. I I need to go and read that because there'll be a good (laughs) quote in that for me." And um, so, his example of continual reading even into his eighties and holding together, um, you know, deep reading uh, with a clear heart for for the lost and a commu- desire to communicate the gospel I think for me was was probably one of the biggest um influences in my life.
0: Mm, that's really fascinating uh, what you say mm. that you know the kind of tutelage you've had there for Michael mm. Green really, it's wonderful. Mm. And have you had a similar kind of experience did you have someone guiding you in reading habits along the way?
2: Yeah I think in my case I um you know I grew up in a in, in a house surrounded by by books my father particularly was well is he's still he's still with us was a was a great reader so I there was something was magical as a child of you know going into you know he, he hadn't got a study we hadn't got a house big enough for that but like every you know room had a bookshelf in it and I just used to find that fascinating just yanking mm-hmm. stuff off the shelf before I was old enough to appreciate it. You know, everything from history to biography to to theology. so, so I caught that love of uh, of reading reading early. Mm-hmm. And um and I suppose why I read why I read now I think there's a, there's a couple of, of reasons, I think. Firstly, I love the interior space for reflection. You know, we live in a very noisy kind of world. Yeah. And a lot of those spaces that we try and process in, it's hard because it's distractions. So if you try to read online, for example, trying to read a newspaper online, there's always adverts and whatnot. Like read on your phone, it's always pinging and buzzing. But there is something mm-hmm. about, like at our house, we have a digital free Sunday. We turn our phones off. And like, so yesterday afternoon, it's a Monday, we're recording this. You know, the kids went out to play with their neighbourhood friends outside. My wife and I, at the, the wood burning stove kind of sat there and just read for 90 minutes and just mm. to be able to thus get some headspace to mm. be just you and the voice of the author is quite special mm-hmm. in today's world so i love that interior space for reflection and then the other reason i suppose i love is i love reading is i i think i probably am wired to be insatiably curious i've always been curious i love knowing things finding things out whether it's talking to people or or reading and one of my um one of my sort of literary heroes is the uh, is a guy called FW Borum not known by by many but probably is actually arguably Australia's most prolific writer he was a Baptist minister went down from the from England to uh, to accept a pastor in New Zealand at first in 1895 and then moved on to Australia and wrote I think about 55 books. Uh, in his life, and many of them have gone into into, into multiple editions. And he, had this, he wrote these little essays where he takes something from life and then reflects on it and, and land it on an aspect of the Christian faith. And I don't know anyone who can illustrate as well. But he wrote a wonderful little essay, which for me sums up why I read. It's called Slice of Infinity. And he talks about the fact that, firstly when you sample life, sample infinity, don't just read about one thing. Don't just mm-hmm. read one part of the Bible, but sample infinity. But mm-hmm. then he connects it to evangelism. He says, you know, if you're sitting in a, you know, he's something he was, you're sitting in a train carriage or on an airplane or, you know, you're walking down the street, get talking talk to somebody and it turns out, you know, they're into, you know, angling or something, mm-hmm. you know, isn't it, aren't you Aren't you grateful that you read Fly Fishing by J.R. Hartley the other mm-hmm. year? Because, you know, you found that in a second in a bookshop. And the more you read, the, the wider you sample infinity. It mm-hmm. gives connections. To mm. people, So I, I love readings. I find stuff yeah. out. I love reading because they when I talk to different people. And I think the other question you asked what I'm reading right now, I'm very eclectic. So literally right now I'm reading F.W. Boreham's book, Elite Lark Singing, from 1946. Uh, I am reading uh, the book The Major World by Vishal Mangalwadi, really fascinating book on the legacy of the Bible. I'm reading The Silmarillion by J.R.R. R. Tolkien. That's my kind of evening kind of fireside reading. I go through that every five years. And then you want eclectic? I'm reading Norwegian Wood, Chopping, Stacking and Drying Wood The Scandinavian World by Lars Mitting, which is an amazing book on how you chop wood, how to choose your axe, what kind of soil you want, how to build your wood piles, and kind of things. So I said during lockdown, I've got into wood. This thing sold about a bit 1.5 million copies. It's, it's absolute. it's like the detail is amazing. Um, but the stuff I've learned, I now know what axe I need if I'm going to chop wood or dispose of a body.
0: There we go. Well, so it, we heard it here first. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Just, just on what you were saying, Andy, on that, I, one of the things I found really helpful, we mentioned the shallows or the swallows, I think, as Aaron called it. But by Nicholas Carr, but one of the things he says is that actually our brains are only designed to be able to process about two or three things. We have a short-term memory, which is, you know, remembering what we've just done a second mm-hmm. before and our long-term memory is like the difference between, you know, com- the RAM and the, the hard disk on a computer. Mm-hmm. He says, if, if things are going to go into our long-term memory, we can't process more than about two or three things at once. And if we don't process it, it'll never go into our long-term memory. Mm-hmm. He says the problem with people reading kind of tweets and you know, articles online is that generally you're kind of scanning through lots and lots of stuff. It's in your short-term memory, but it never goes and processes into the long-term mm-hmm. memory. You don't really remember what you read on on Twitter yesterday, um, mm-hmm. although you were kind of engaged with it at yeah. the time. Whereas when you take the time to go through a book, you're actually processing that um, so that you can recall it later and so I think I found you know just mentally it's actually a really helpful thing to slow yourself down uh, read a book be forced to think about one thing for an extended period of time um, and actually that's helpful not just at the time uh, but also long term and you also mentioned about different types of reading I think um, uh, <laughs> sorry Andy's trying to distract us for the for the listener <laughs> by showing us pictures of wood uh, which is very <laughs> exciting uh, but I know what I was going to say on that was actually one of the things i learned early on which really helped with reading is that you actually there are different types of books for different types of you know types times of day so i have books that i'm reading for, for for my work that um you know i've just been writing a book and so um there's been various books that i've been reading in preparation for that i kind of read them during the day but you know bedtime at the moment I'm reading through Lord of the Rings again um Mm -hmm. so they're kind of like the books that you read kind of like to relax the books that you Mm -hmm. read when you need to have a bit more energy I think early on what I discovered as a Christian is I was trying to read like weighty theological tomes at bedtime and like falling asleep and thinking actually Mm -hmm. no there's certain books that are kind of easier to read than others Mm -hmm. um some are good for dipping into for half an hour once a day and some are good for just losing yourself in for an afternoon
0: yeah that's really that's good uh it's it's interesting what you say I mean, we will come back to the how we read a bit later on but it's interesting mm-hmm. what you say even just briefly on the uh mm-hmm. online reading thing because it is you know right now if i could give you a screen share the amount of tabs i tend to have running at any given time and you you, you open up open new tab was a beautiful invention but in a way it's caused yeah. a lot of stress hasn't it because <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. you end up having so many things i oh, really want to That's a long read mm-hmm. i must get to that at some point and sometimes you end up feeling a kind of joy at like getting through a tab or through the tabs, but you haven't actually taken in what you've read. But yeah. you like I've, lo- I've ticked it off. I've logged I have read it. Have you read it? I-, I definitely read it. I don't think you've actually read it. You've read it, but you haven't really taken it, and you've been thinking about the next tab. Mm. So there's a real danger there, isn't there, on how they're going. Mm. But I just want to jump, before we move on to this sort of hows a bit more, staying on this sort of why question, uh, Andy mentioned something about curiosity and, mm-hmm. and in, in generality. You've both given examples there for what you're reading widely and reading very generally I had something recently which I think I sent to you both earlier in the week or last week was it around uh, an interesting conversation between C.R. Wiley and Doug Wilson on um, specialisation over specialisation in education Mm. so you do nowadays you get specialists who over, 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 over specialise or uber, uber, uber specialise PhDs on the tiniest fragment of a certain source of knowledge within a field. So it really, someone who gets a PhD may not actually be a a, uh, fully competent in the entirety of their field now, whereas it used to be the case that you needed to have that and you specialise. Now we're just in created more subcategories so that even the experts don't really know much very yeah. broadly beyond what they seem to know, even if they're doctors in, in a subject. So it, it's a huge thing, isn't it? To think the separate, you know, I think the conversation I heard uh, that I mentioned just there was specialization is for insects, <laughs> that there's something <laughs> there. an insect, <laughs> like, a, like an insect colony. They know how to do a certain job and they know I can do this, but I can't, I don't know how it fits into the whole. As human beings, we have curiosity as a God given trait mm-hmm. to some extent. So our ability to read generally and connect things to the whole is a huge part of what it means to be a human being. <laughs> um, so mm-hmm, reading wisely, not just going, I'm reading pragmatically because this is what I'll end up using. So maybe, you know, Michael and I might not be in a, a wood chopping phase, But Andy (laughs) might recommend us the wood chopping book for its other qualities. There's there's, there's things you can learn that that are just interesting. It's good to Mm. be curious in the good ways. There's Mm. obviously bad kinds of curiosity as well, which I won't get into. Medieval Mm. theology tended to look at curiosity as a a negative thing because it meant Mm. you were never focused on what you're supposed to be focused on. And there's some value to that because we we have a bit of the bad kind of curiosity in our age, don't we? Online tabbing, for example, is an example. I'm curious about a thousand things. I'm not then going to drill down into anything in particular. Mm. I think you're saying something different, aren't you there? Yeah, Michael, I think
1: opinion. so. No, just, just to say on that, I can't remember who it was who said it, but something I found really helpful, They said um, you know, everything about something and something about everything. So there is a kind of, you know, we all have our specialist areas. And I guess if you're working in a particular field that requires study, you know, you will be forced to study to a, to a degree that um, others won't. Um, but that sense of like, but also just try and get to know something about lots of different areas of life as well. Which just makes it very interesting hmm. um to talk to hopefully because i found as an evangelist you know when you're chatting to people if you've read widely there's a point of connection um that you can have with all sorts of people
0: yeah
1: um and if you find that you're talking to someone who's got an interest in something you've never heard about like find out about it and that's often inspired me to then go away and find out more about that particular area hmm.
2: yeah sorry Andy. i think the other thing is as well as to add to the, the specialization Peace, Aaron. That I think you're definitely onto something. I remember somebody once describing to me that the best way to think of a PhD is specialized ignorance. You know, <laughs> but people who've got haven't got a PhD are ignorant about ordinary things, but people who've got doctorates are just you know have ignorance in specialized areas. Um, and there's definitely something something in that. But the interesting thing is how actually the world that we live in does encourage us not to read widely. So I mean, the, the one example of this would be algorithms. You know, you go to Amazon. And based upon, say, yeah. and other online booksellers are available, but let's say you go to Amazon, and based upon your previous purchasing history, it recommends three or four things that you might like. Yeah. And if you're not careful, you go, oh, that's interesting. And suddenly you just find yourself, you know, reading in one in one particular area. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. the challenge is how, as you say, without becoming, uh, you know, sort of dilettantes or being distracted and, and with, your, with a mind that flits everywhere like some rare type of butterfly, how do you actually have an interest in, um, mm-hmm things i uh, one thing i'll often say to people because people often ask you know for advice on what to and what to read and i think certainly in terms of making connections you know one thing i'll often say to focus well look around you look around your culture look around the type of people that you're with look around the, the, the part of the country or in the time that you're in what are some of the issues mm-hmm. and read some stuff at least gently mm-hmm. that helps you think about that you know you don't need to be an apologist or a theologian to realize say that, that the transgender issue which is currently shaping tearing our mm-hmm. culture in all kinds of directions if you're going to be a christian who wants to connect to people to have read just one or two things on that so you can speak in an informed way you could say and actually i found this with people if you open a conversation by saying you know it's interesting i was reading something on this the other day that made me think that has slightly more credibility than. well you know what's often occurred to me that um and so i think again books can you know give you a connection point uh they can also give you a bit of a, a bit of a cover because it's this particular author, rather than yourself, and again, they can uh, they can help us engage with some of the big questions of
1: uh, of our age too. Yeah,
2: it's interesting
1: you say that, Andy, because I don't think you would know, but actually, most of the books I've been reading the last couple of weeks have all been on the issue of transgender. So, um, is there something you need uh, to tell us,
2: Michael? Is there a as a sort <laughs> of thing? <theory? laughs>
1: um, so, but Making I guess a... for, for that very reason that like actually this is a huge huge issue. So, um, uh, so I'm reading, uh, not specifically on it, but um, Paul Gooder's book body um, which is kind of looking more at the theology of the body and why the body is important which um, was recommended which really really helpful Preston Sprinkle's book Embodied um, which came out this year which specifically on the issue of of transgender which was really really helpful Um, and then Carl Truman's The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self although Mm -hmm. having listened to his podcast and seen the length of the book I'm not sure whether I'm going to get through the whole thing Mm -hmm. and sometimes I kind of think like I guess there's always a kind of investment in time isn't there in terms of like the length of the book and it's like yeah, you know, Someone once said to me, the, the true cost of a book is not the money you spend buying it, it's the time you spend reading it. Um, yeah. So there is always yeah. that evaluation of, we can't read everything, yeah. so we have to choose it's wisely. Interesting, there's there a, is
0: fam- a famous quote from uh, Arthur Schopenhauer, he said, uh, to buy books would be a wonderful thing, if only we could also buy the time to read them. Yes, <laughs> And he's saying that in you know, the okay. mid-19th century or early to mid-19th century. Yeah. And you think how many books have been published. You know, in the UK, they say 188,000 books are published every year in the UK alone. Um, how That's just absurd. And you compare that to, you know, in the 19th century, there were already an insurmountable amount of books that one was stressed about wanting to try and read. And they're probably harder to read, many right. of them, than some mm. of the books that overly specialised. They're not connected to the general mm. themes today. So we do get a sense of being, of, you know, drowning under the mm. weight, and you have to make those choices, don't you? As Michael yeah. says about time investment. How? What, what am I, what, what is going to be the most beneficial thing out of this mm. book? You know, if I, read, if I mm. is Andy going to read three books on wood chopping, or is the what is the one book on wood chopping enough? Um, but but that's you know, got to make those choices all the time. Mm.
2: Well, the next thing, of course, will be during lockdown with kind of, you know, do-it-yourself lockdown stuff is Michael or I, or Aaron, one of us needs to decide we'll try and actually make our own book. You know, I can chop the wood, Michael can process it into paper, and, <laughs> and Aaron, right. you can write words of four of syllables. Um, one thing I want to say, actually, is that, it's interesting you mentioned the word, the word investment there occurred to me because, you know, of course, books are not are not are not cheap, and it's worth being aware of that. You know, for some people listening to this yeah. podcast, it may be a problem. Others, it may be more of a, a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's interesting I would, to return just because he's on my mind because I've been reading him a bit recently. It was interesting, mm-hmm. you know, Borum, I remember being quite struck at his biography, that as a young pastor, when money was really tight, he decided he would make the commitment to buy and read one book a week. And mm-hmm. he carried that through for the whole of his life. And so he said early on, mm-hmm. it was a sacrifice. It was tough to yeah. do that. But the foundation it laid, and you know, there is something about the investment, mm-hmm. you know, okay, so mm-hmm. now, you know, i Middle class, i can buying a book is not is not tough as it once was when I was a student. But there's still something about thinking about okay, I've got ten quid here. Hmm. You know, I could spend that on Starbucks, I could pay off a bit of the credit card, I could do other things with it, or I could buy a book. And then I want to think a bit more carefully because okay, what you book couldn't buy one of my shops?
0: academic. You couldn't you buy an academic. <laughs> well, <book. laughs> yeah, but that <laughs> actually <laughs>
2: thing is. But they do burn really well, actually, it almost <laughs> as good as a log if you if you right. chop them up. Um, kind of thing. So yeah, I think it's that the books is investment and that becomes
1: mm-hmm.
2: interesting about thinking about okay, what do I want on my on my shelves? And actually mm-hmm. one of the things I love about reading actually, I love looking round my shelves, mm-hmm. which are all triple stacks to hell. Mm-hmm. and there's something this is kind of weird. That's people people are not book lovers listening to this will think banister's gone bonkers, but there's something about the sort of sense of being surrounded by old friends. Yeah. I quite like, you know, I can look up mm-hmm. on the shelf you know, pass my collection of empty gin bottles. There we go to yeah. Shockle all the Baptist and go, Oh yeah. Look up there. I read that guy two years yeah. ago. And you know, up there is, uh, is, is John Lennox. And, you know, I remember when John wrote that and over there is, you know, whatever. And there's something about being surrounded by that kind of circle of witnesses. actually is, it, is quite a, interesting.
0: It's funny you use that phrase, My I, my, my wife's, uh, grandfather died, uh, about a decade or so ago. Um, he we used to go and visit him when he was um it must have been less than a decade ago um, we used to go and visit him uh, and he sit he basically couldn't move out of his chair in his lounge anymore and he had carers coming in and he was surrounded by books he was an old science teacher but he was a, a methodist um kind of local preacher and organist and he read very widely he had a, you know, all of his books were kind of up to about the 70, 1970s or 80s <laughs> but there's an insane uh, eclectic mm-hmm. mix, and he, we'd always come away and take three or four away with us, uh, with his permission, of course. We weren't just kind of stealing from an old person who, uh, in their chair. Um, and he used to refer to them by the exact same name. The, the, these are my cloud of witnesses. They've kind of been with me over the years, and they've they've been sort of dialogue partners, and we don't often think of books like that. I heard, Was it Eugene Peterson who said um, he would schedule time in his diary with an author so that if someone came and said, "You, uh, uh, someone, someone's here to see you, Eugene. Oh, no, he's in, his, his secretary would say, he's in the office right now. He's got someone in the office with him. And in his diary, he would say, Dostoevsky, or, <laughs> or meeting with C.S. Lewis. And that's actually ha- how he thought about reading, because we often go, well, I'll read a book if I get time, but it's way more important to have this coffee with this person here or this person respond to this problem. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe it is more helpful for you to have a conversation with C.S. Lewis. I mean he can't answer back, but he said a lot of stuff in, in a lot of books. So you can actually have a pretty decent conversation, out of thought, if you're if you're actually reflecting yeah. as you're reading. It's a lovely way of
1: seeing it actually, because you know, we have access to the greatest minds of history at our <laughs> fingertips. And like when we see it in that way, you know, actually we're we're able to um to learn from people. <laughs> um and um do we make the most and I think also the other thing is when people are writing books, hopefully they're trying to like, you know. You write kind of podcast you know, you can talk and stuff in a podcast like this where we're kind of batting ideas back and forth. You might write a blog or something like that. But when you're writing a book, you're really trying to summarize the, the you know, the stuff that you've been really thinking about chewing over it and then articulating it as, as well as you can, aren't you? It's hopefully the kind of epitome of your your writing and thought processes. So when you're reading a book, you're actually getting access to to the best of someone's thinking. Um, absolutely and,
0: and thinking about you know these voices from the past as you say you're getting access mm. to them as, as andy said, he's got these, these cloud of witnesses on his shelves uh, looking down upon him frowning or not um and so why is he why is he chopping wood he should be reading more books um but to what extent then is reading um can reading change the world to what extent can it you know really impact people in a really positive way for change especially at an age where Mm. reading is under threat in all sorts of different ways. I mean, it's under threat for the digital age, as we've talked about already, uh, and the sense of people's reading habits change or their brains are changing. There's also a sense in which we've got cancel culture, haven't we, Uh, you know, coming in. I I read Mm. something really interesting, an article on libraries in Syria. Uh, There's these revolutionary librarians in kind of war-torn Syria, and the sort of regime that has propagandised the nation and there's kind of war-torn villages and towns and there's this group of guys who found a kind of abandoned school a school headmaster who'd fled the country or fled the city and abandoned everything and he had a a kind of room of books and they found them and they were kind of shaking with excitement at being able to recover these books that, that weren't allowed to be read and so they set up this kind of underground library and it's kind of an amazing thing that they would then go to houses that were sort of abandoned or whatever, try and gather them. And it's all hush-hush, all underground. Um, but it meant the reading itself was a political act. It was something that was able to, again, like we've said before, show that you're still alive, you're able to resist some mm. of the ideologies. And we're in a culture now where you know we're constantly saying, right, this author wasn't up to scratch as far as we now think in 2020, 2021, in terms of their wait the way they phrase things so they were of their time therefore we think that they are racist or misogynist or whatever so we're not allowed to read them we'll take them off the curriculum we'll stop uh, printing new editions or whatever so there's things like that which are genuinely there, there are cultural um, elements of, of uh, western civilization which are dropping away and the people yeah. are saying don't read these what do you <clears> think <throat> of that
2: well i am um, i have to say as you describe that aaron i love the idea of revolutionary, revolutionary librarians. I thought, that's a movie, man. That's a TV <laughs> show, you know, to go, wow. I mean, that makes me go, even the idea makes me go all dewy-eyed. Dewey eyed, Dewey library system. Okay. There'll be a few people uh, who <laughs> think that the joke is just phenomenal. Um, other people go, what the heck? Yeah, I Paris
0: think it's going to take it's a, a generation, Andy. I
2: think I, several generations' time when people
0: generation. are That was actually
2: I'm very, very, very funny. But I do, of course, as Michael pointed out, I do save my funniest lines for my books uh, when I write, not just on podcasts. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot in there. Uh I mean, all the cancel thing I find. I find fascinating because I think we talked about this on a previous show actually, that there's something about books, sorry from the past that should challenge us. They should make us uncomfortable. Sometimes they'll make us uncomfortable because we we'll yeah. go, man, they, I, I'm not sure those guys had it right. Yeah. Other times they'll challenge us because um, we haven't got it right. And in fact, yeah. you know, one of the, the writers I like who is always challenges me, Douglas Murray, he's not a, a historic writer, he's a contemporary writer. He's a, he's a journalist. Uh, he's an atheist. He's uh, He's gay. Um, conservative politically. So in many ways, we don't line up on things, but he always writes consistently interesting books. Mm-hmm. And um, in one of his books, uh, he talked about the fact, there was, was a book writer, it was an interview he was doing, that's right, an interview where he talked about, he said, you know, we look back on previous cultures and in every, every other culture in the past, You know, have a great day where we'll see things and we'll think, man, what were they thinking? They they went mad at that point. He used the example of slavery. You know, you look back at, at you know, the the early Victorians and stuff and to go, they did so many things. Look at the advances in science and engineering and and architecture, the stuff they were doing. But then slavery. Mm. And he goes, they literally they were bonkers. They'd lost Mm. the plot at that point. And he said, the thought occurs to you, what is the point in our culture? at which 100 years, 200 years from now, people are going to look back and go, man, those those men and women in the 21st century, just look what they had. They had all this technology and all this stuff. They were amazing. But at this point, they went mad. Now, Douglas thinks it's the transgender piece, uh, that he thinks that's that in the future, people look back and go, they did what to kids? Um, and I think reading from the past, does that. And I think there's a side of maturity actually that you're able to read something from the past and go, I don't agree with it. But I don't have to agree with it. I could still go, man, I don't like that attitude. But on this other thing over here, I've got something I've got something to learn. And I think of course this gets into a much broader discussion of what is a great what is a great book or a piece of literature. I think it is something that stood the test of time. Something that was written five years ago hasn't stood the test of time. And it might still no. be helpful, but we need to remember it's it's more recent. So I think there's I think there's definitely that piece. And then mm-hmm. in terms of books changing the world, which is how you led into the question, I think historically that's true. When you look historically when when literacy exploded you know, in the ancient yeah. in the ancient world, when writing was developed sometime around about the second millennium bc at different points in different cultures. Suddenly, you know, here was the ability to pass on information in a form to the next generation that was more than just orality. Here was an idea, a bit, an ability for an author to re- to reflect and and edit their works. When you stand in front of an audience and, mm. and speak e- contem- extemporaneously, your words are done and they're out. But mm. as an author, when you're writing, you can you can edit and you can shape mm. and, and make it precisely what you want. And that idea, I think, we don't have to argue about it. it has changed mm. the world. There are numerous mm. books. Whether it's politically, you know Thomas Paine or um, you know Mm. John Stuart Mill or you know other kind of things, whether it's the Bible and the impact Mm. that it's made, or whether it's other kind of books, Uh, Mm. you know, think of Darwin's Origin of Species. Whatever you think about, you know about you know particularly where that scientific theory has been unpacked. You know, undoubtedly books have turned the world Mm. upside down. And thus, if nothing else, I think if we want to be well-rounded citizens, men and women who who can engage with our culture as Christians, at least being aware of. Having engaged with some of the books that have changed mm. the world, and taking a stand against attempts to close reading and writing down and shut those, mm. those down, interesting, isn't it? In totalitarian societies, it's often the books that are yeah. that people get, come mm. for. You know, the Nazis mm. burnt books, the Communists have burnt books. To go, I often say to more progressively minded friends over here, just be aware that book banning and book burning does not have a particularly good <laughs> legacy. The, yeah. the, 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 the sort of types of person that you are aligning yourself with. It's a bit of a rogues
1: gallery, yeah. really. Um, doesn't have a good CV, rather, Doesn't Which, have a good Yeah, on a practical note, is is one of the concerns where people only source their books from Amazon. Mm. I just think, like, it's it's already happening with certain books, like, particularly any <laughs> books that are going to touch on issues like transgender and so on, that, you know, from a Christian perspective, that are going to be not available. Mm. So, um, one of the reasons, among others, why I would personally try and use other sources if I can. Um, but just on that, I think, you mentioned at the beginning, Aaron, that like in some ways people are reading more than they have and other times they're reading less than they have. Um, and that's one of the problems we're saying in, in our culture. I think as a Christian and as a Christian who wants to try and communicate the gospel effectively um, to a world that needs Jesus, I think one of my responsibilities is to be able to understand the world so that I can communicate well to it. And obviously I'm you know a full-time evangelist in that sense, but in a sense all of us as Christians will want to hopefully have that concern to be able to communicate the gospel and so one of our passions surely be to to read and understand things so that we can connect so we can build bridges um, for the gospel and um, that means reading widely so we've already talked yeah. about kind of reading kind of old and new um but i just jotted down a few other kind of um different kind of you know things in terms of keeping our balance. So, you know, reading Christian and non-Christian. So, yeah. um, you know, I get frustrated as a Christian if an atheist has only ever read Dawkins, but equally an atheist could get frustrated with me if I'd have only read, you know, John Lennox, mm. um, to give you one example. Mm. Um, politically, you know, reading from the left and reading from the right, uh, making sure that there's a, a breadth in our political perspectives agreeing with um, reading stuff that I agree with and disagree with Mm. you know sometimes it's really helpful to read a book that I profoundly disagree with on a topic that I care deeply about Mm. and it winds me up no end and sometimes I found myself wanting to throw the book across the room but Mm. actually it's really helpful because Mm. you know it helps me to understand the best or the strongest argument coming again you know so helps me to think how am I going to come back to that and that often gets me thinking more than reading a Christian book uh, because I'm thinking okay well how would I respond to that argument and so on and and so on, and then um, a couple of other things: reading books by men and women, and reading books from people in my culture and people from outside my culture as well. Mm. Um, I find is really helpful. And sometimes at the end of a year, I like to look back through my list of reading and just say, okay, what kind of balance or where's the imbalance in my reading? You know, what what have I missed out on this year, um, and maybe mm. correct that the following yeah. year.
0: That's really on interesting.
2: that note. Actually, um, yeah. yeah, I was going to say on that on that note, um, Michael, an exercise that I was recommended to onto mm. about sort of four or five years ago and has been really helpful is that I now I never used to do this but I now log everything mm. I kind of read just a little text file on the computer and then um firstly set myself a target so mm. you know I've got a certain number of books that I want to try and read this year if I make it great if not I don't beat myself up but it's you know if you don't record it you're mm. never going to hit it but then exactly mm. as you said you could look back at the end of the year and go oh okay how do how is the mix here and I get a nice mm. mix of you know, different writers, different genders, mm-hmm. different cultures, fiction, non-fiction, mm-hmm. you know, other things I wish I had read, well in which case I could add them onto my wish list for next year. Mm-hmm. But just actually begin to be slightly more proactive in mm-hmm. terms of tracking what you're doing. And if you know what mm-hmm. of course the other thing it's certainly a little plug there's a wonderful book website called goodreads.com. And that you know if you want to be doing that as part of a community, that's mm-hmm. fun because you could join that and it lets you share the books you've read. You become friends with others who are reading other kind of books. So that's a bit more social, or in my case, I just have a text file on the computer. Uh, that's really, it's that's really, it's encouraging actually, because again, you mm-hmm. can look back, it's great fun looking back, what did I read in tw- 2018, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth.
0: Yeah, that's really good. Um, j- just a, a postscript on that, before we uh, move on to a, a couple of other things. Um, <clears throat> you guys are both in positions of Christian leadership, to some extent, uh, in, in really actively involved in mission ministry. You're also well-read, and you th- you think about these things a lot. Now there is a line of argument throughout the New Testament, which I think is important to say on the other side here about this wide reading thing. Paul regularly in his epistles talks about not engaging with certain figures, certain false teachers and leaders. So some Christians might hear what Michael was saying there about you know not not being embarrassed before the atheist when you haven't read enough of these texts. Um, why where does it differ? And uh, where would what advice would you give to, let's say, people at a different stage of their faith journey or their theological journey, where they might say, actually, you need to not go near this one. You know, Paul says uh in 2 Timothy, Himenaeus and Philetus, their teaching is like gangrene. That doesn't mean critically engage with Himenaeus and Philetus, read all <laughs> of their latest works so that actually you <laughs> can really understand them. He said, No. Uh, look, just trust me uh, it's gangrenous it's gonna mm. it's gonna cause yeah. problems and now to some extent they are Chris. these are kind of people posing as christians yeah. it's slightly different mm. to reading an atheist i think but where would you uh, where, where where do you tend to give it's the advice question is I, I think i think i think sorry Michael, if you both talk no, no, simultaneously just... that'd be quite fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, Michael, we can, we can get first. like Michael.
1: 54 minutes quicker can't we like, or you know try and make it <laughs> oh, a shorter no. podcast um yeah, I think that's a very interesting point, actually, because I was just reflecting on that and thinking, I guess partly, um, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say to a new Christian, you know, the first book you need to read is, you know, <laughs> um, this book by some you know, militant atheist. And if I am going to suggest reading that, um, I want to kind of talk about it and discuss it with people so that, you know, we're kind of able to kind of work through that. Um, so I'm not just kind of... Um, leaving that. But, but as you say, actually, in, in the Bible, some of these characters were people who were posing as Christians. They were false teachers, you know, they weren't out and out enemies of the Christian faith. You know, mm-hmm. it's interesting because Paul doesn't see Acts 17 quotes, you know, their mm-hmm. poets, you know, mm-hmm. he's obviously widely read, yeah. but the people that he really seems to have anger <laughs> and, you know, a real kind of um, um, uh, ferocity against is is people who are claiming to be Christian and yet teaching stuff that's that's mm-hmm. otherwise. Actually, I was just thinking about that um, this weekend with my wife, and you know, um, chatting to um someone else recently who had been reading um a lot of stuff by kind of health wealth prosperity teachers mm. Mm. um i just think actually i have no desire to read that whatsoever yeah. um you yeah, know it's, it's helpful in a sense to, to know what the false teaching is but mm. i'm not going to sit and read joel austin's latest book i've got mm. absolutely no time for that at all mm. because i just think actually here's someone who's claiming to mm. You know, present the gospel, yeah. but actually, there's no gospel to and, it.
0: And just that's really helpful. And just to kind of take that before Andy jumps in on this, because like Andy, can you? So Michael's mentioned say like a Joel lost in health, wealth, prosperity. Now in our culture, he's got good no, teeth though. Good teeth. <laughs> he goes I he, he also goes travels a lot. But I don't know how he gets that. Anyway, um, but that's an easier target. Um, no one's going to have a go at Michael for saying don't read Joel Austin. Most most evangelicals wouldn't. But there are increasing evangelicals who are reading a lot of more wokish Christianity type mm-hmm. stuff, right? So where at what point do you say, well, I better show that I'm not being you both mentioned gender, for example. I must show there can be a danger of going. Right, we must show that we're not in any way mm-hmm. um, privileging men over women. So we must kind of overstep our mark. I must read all these books which sort of interpret my whiteness, my maleness, and all these power structures. That that could also be as well, perhaps more dangerous than reading some of the health files. Yeah. People, presumably. Mm.
2: No, I I think that's a very good that's a very good point. I mean, just to just to sort of pick up on uh, on Michael's point, and then to answer that one, Aaron. I mean, I think yeah, you, you know, in terms of Christian maturity is certainly a thing, right? I mean, if you are going to take up a new sport in like like boxing, for example, you know, if you decide the very first thing you're going to do is hop in the ring with Muhammad Ali, actually be difficult. <laughs> he's dead, but you get the idea. Yeah. Quite an uh, easy fight. Yeah, gotta get the stuffing knocked out of you. But if you you know, if you wanted to work your way up to that kind of level of the sport, you could do so. And I think it's it's not a problem thinking about the same as true spiritually. That you know, start on the on, on, on the milk and move on to the stronger mm. stuff. And of course Paul Paul obviously engaged with this stuff. The very fact that Paul could say avoid their teaching is toxic. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Paul has obviously checked it out and perhaps his yeah. pastors and leaders need to check it out so they can then inform the congregation mm. to go, well, let me just tell you very quickly why I wouldn't read, mm. you know. Rob Bell's latest, you know, splurge yeah. or Steve Chalk's thing. Yeah. Uh, actually, I believe that some of those writers are beginning to do, engage in heresy offsetting. It's like carbon offsetting. You know, you buy one of those <laughs> books and they'll give a dollar to Westminster Theological yeah. Seminary in the States. Um, <laughs> see, that was a good joke, too. Um, but, yeah, that you're right about the other stuff. I mean, the more modern kind of wokey stuff. I, I think a couple of things I suppose I would ask, I would, I would say here. One is to ask yourself why you want to read a book. If you simply want to read it because you want to look kind of wokey and progressive, then you probably are setting yourself up for a fall because that's an entirely yeah. wrong reason to read anything. I mean, literally anything. Um, and you can get that outside of Christian circles. I, I, I have a few sort of slightly snobby friends who, you know, his bookshelves are quite impressive. But you ask them, they've never read, you know, <laughs> Dostoevsky or Jane Austen or whoever. They just got these beautiful hardback editions they bought because they think that's yeah. what educated people have on the shelves. Mm-hmm. And I think the same can be with the wokey stuff if you want to read somebody because you're you know everyone's talking about this particular theologian in your circle and you think gosh i probably do need to engage here that's that's different and then of course the other thing to do is and this becomes as you read more widely is is try and understand the underlying assumptions can be helpful some of the stuff that you talked around 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 sort of critiquing your cultural perspective and whiteness and all of this kind of nonsense and i've kind of given my game away by using that word nonsense um you know underlying that is something we might do another show on which is the whole kind of idea of critical race theory <laughs> that has absolutely yeah. no sub- and intersectionality which with all the due respect particularly to our secular friends i've more already respect for secular friends on this there is no substance to those
0: yeah.
2: things at all so it just i mean it's, it's good that it's got the word theory in there it is actually a lot of just sort of words arranged into a sentence with enough sort of you know, sort of clout behind it. People take it seriously, and I think in the church we can ask, "What's the underlying assumption?" And I get worried about underlying assumptions that want the dividers, that want to see people in the color of their skin rather than the content of their character. To quote Martin Luther King, and I think you can then yeah. le- measure it up to the standard of Christ. And it was actually very interesting. I was doing a seminar for for uh, Wycliffe College at University of Toronto last night, where I did a bit of teaching and uh, i was on there with a friend of mine called bruxy cavey who's a pastor of a large church in toronto and we were i forget the question that came up but bruxy talked about the fact he said we need to be realistic as, as evangelicals that if you just randomly read bits of the bible you could pretty much make the bible say anything if you want to justify genocide just pick a few texts at random yeah. out of context the old testament and you could do it whatever you want to do however If you make Jesus the center of your theology and you connect everything to him and read everything through him, it becomes a darn sight harder Mm. to do that because he won't let you get away with that. And he should be the the lens through which we read everything else. And I think the same can be said of reading more generally, but particularly things that claim to be Christian. We can ask the question, Okay, what would Jesus think of this? What happens if I bring Mm. this idea to the foot of the cross and read it through there does it bring me does it bring others to christ does it help me reach people or does it just divide and mm. sow doubt and destruction and whatever in which case i need to ask some questions It's one thing if it's a secular book doing that they they have no excuse to know any better yeah when it's people who purport to be christian sowing division and setting people against each other and making themselves the center of the story and not jesus the center of the mm. story then i think
0: we can at least ask some questions and maybe there's a time to say this isn't helpful Mm. that's really helpful Um, and they say as we've said before i think if you focus on jesus we're gonna we're gonna annoy people on the right and the left because he did (laughs) and so uh, our own sensitivities either way are going to be challenged Mm. he talks about hell more than anyone else in the bible and he loves sinners like no one else in the bible so uh, an an incredible kind of um blend there so really good advice there on the why question Let's just move on to as I mentioned earlier the sort of hows you both mentioned a little bit already about how you read are are there sort of points of debate here about in the culture we live in about how we read Michael give us give us some examples of how you you tend to read yeah so I think
1: my to to kind of give you a kind of evolution of my my reading habits uh i guess like most people in the world i just generally used to read books because that was the only way to read books um and then i kind of went for a stage of of reading on kindle although i kind of fell out of love with kindle after about a year um it's interesting actually that seemed to match the statistics at the time that was saying that kind of kindle was kind of taking off and then suddenly people realized actually i kind of like having the physical book um like it can go on my shelf i can lend it to people i can underline it when i'm discussing it with someone i can yeah. find the page easier and all that kind of stuff so um, so actually I went back to kind of buying physical books and then about a couple of years ago, um, got recommended to listen to an audio book just because it was a book by a comedian. They said it was really funny if you listen to the audio book. So I downloaded audible and, um, uh, listened to that mm-hmm. and really enjoyed listening to it. And I thought, hang on a minute, I could listen to other books this way. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the outdoors. I love hiking, I love cycling and stuff. And so I found, well, actually I can, cycle and hike and listen. Mm. Um I've been on a sabbatical about a year before where I've basically been in a kind of continual tension because I wanted to be out doing exercise, but also I also felt I probably should be sitting reading a book. So for me that was like a real revolutionary thing because I was like, mm. actually I can listen. Um is it as good? I mean I guess that's a big debate we could have, you know, like I'm yeah, probably you do take in more if you're sitting and reading the book. But my argument is, I take in more listening to it than I would if I'm not reading it at all, <laughs> and I can actually consume more by by listening. So there are books that I still physically read. I've got physical copies. If I really enjoy the audio book, I often then go and buy the physical book, and hmm. um, so I can kind of annotate it and and lend it to others. Hmm. Um, so I kind of have a mixture. But actually, for me, it probably meant that I was reading. At least double, if not triple, the amount of books mm. by then starting to listen to books as well, mm. um, and um, yeah, so I found that really helpful. So a bit of a mixture, really.
0: Mm. That's good. And you said, I think you said you read, read a Soldier book recently that was twenty four hours. Is that right in length? Yeah, <laughs> so
1: Gulag like Archipelago. So like things like that, and you know, Jordan Peterson's Twelve Rules for Life, which is pretty long. You know, oh. I was thinking, like, actually, in terms of sitting and reading that, like. I, I get re- the other thing I get really restless because I'm kind of an activist. So when I sit down I get distracted because I want to do something. So you may make
0: some bread or make a pork pie, don't you? Yeah.
1: Exactly. So so if I can be doing something and listening, um it kinda helps if you're obviously, you know, on, on your own and you know, you're not having to think about anything else at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a kind of I did have a sabbatical after that where I was in New Zealand and I basically just filled up my phone with audiobooks and <laughs> and hiked. But because I wasn't having to think about anything else I was on my own, you know, mm. that was a really good time to kind of process. And so I found that personally really beneficial.
0: Great. Andy, anything to throw in on that? Do, do you agree, disagree?
2: Well, this is great because I've got a bit of, bit of controversy here. Okay? I, I, I confess I'm, funny thing is I'm a file but I do have some questions about these other kind of forms. I mean, I would definitely say, look, audiobooks, uh, have their place i mean we we drive up and down the country quite a bit less because of lockdown than we used to but we still up another country a bit and if we're doing eight hours up another country that like we're going down to the southwest for, for for easter that'll be an eight hour kind of drive and uh, so we found audiobooks are great and we've got some great audiobook series at the kids we've got a fight you know almost six year old and an eight year old we've got this great christian biography series that they love and that's fantastic it makes the drive go by and like michael i sometimes when i'm hiking on my own we'll stick one on Um, Kindle there are certain things I read On the Kindle you may laugh at this but one of the things I love my Kindle I read in the bath One of my favourite things to do is get a mug of tea and our foam bath and the Kindle—it's great. It's waterproof, and I can—and it's not heavy, so the paper doesn't get wet. So I, have, I, I read, read something else. I've just read *Pilgrim's Progress* for the first time. Finally worked through it. It's not not the easiest read in places, mm. and I chowed my way through <laughs> it. I read, I read that at the bath. I left, but I do think if I want to learn things and, mem- and remember things, and not just learn them, like mm. like I'm a massive *Lord of the Rings* aficionado. I ring that. I'd read that book, you know, every couple of years. I wouldn't dream of reading that in an e-version. There's something mm. about being able to slow mm. down yeah. that a book helps you do. And here's the other thing that's interesting. There's been studies done showing that the printed page works better for memory. Like mm-hmm. anyone who loves books probably has had that phenomenon phenomena where they think, well, I've got a favorite book and I've got a favorite passage in that book. And I know it's on a right hand page, somewhere <laughs> towards the middle, uh, mm-hmm. you know, down the bottom of the page. And you can find it by geography. And I think mm-hmm. e-text destroy that. In fact, actually, the, the shallows that we've mentioned a couple of times in this show and the previous one, um, Nick Carr in the book, The Shallows, quotes a piece of research from, um, I forget which leading American university on e-texts, where they took a group of uh, postgraduate students, postdocs, so these are guys guys and girls with PhDs and so bright people, gave divided them into groups about, you know, a group of about six, sort of six different groups, gave them each the same journal article. One had it printed out. The other five had an electronic version with ascending numbers of hyperlinks, in the article and they were told explicitly don't click on the hyperlinks just read the article and they were given a quiz at the end see how much they remembered and basically mm-hmm. the guys and the girls with the paper copy massively better retention and there's a number of hyperlinks went up the retention went down mm-hmm. and the psychologists who kind of you know f- uh, processed that through thought it's something to do a distraction that even your brain seeing a hyperlink you know those little blue things underlined yeah. is enough to get you going oh where would i go if i if I click. Mm. So we don't fully know all the reasons why, but it does seem that 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 reading in, on paper is definitely better. But mm. there is definitely a place for those other technologies. And look, if it's a case of I wouldn't I don't have the time to read, the only way I'm going to engage mm. is through audiobook, then get an audiobook. You know, don't don't be be put off. But I think if you mm. have a time to make the choice, mm. you know, do do at least make sure you've got a healthy amount of print mm. in the in the mix. Not least one final thing, by the way. There's something about the age of books, too. I love old books, and C.S. Lewis talked about old books, mm-hmm. like the fresh breezes mm-hmm. blow through. And one of the things I love about old books, and I'm collecting, you know, I mentioned him a couple of times on the show, Boreham books, you know, mm-hmm. 55 of these things. And I love it when I get an old copy of Boreham, about $20 for one of his. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you will have a name in the front. And then occasionally I'll flick to the back and I'll see that someone's taken notes, like what I was reading <laughs> on the other day, and somebody had written down sort of 20 page references with a thing that struck them. And there's something about being in touch with history. He was a, you know, I think it was a Christian, I guess, brother in this case. It was, a boy, it was a male name inside the cover who'd obviously read that book, goodness knows when, but potentially 90 years before, had been struck by some things. And it was a quite magical moment, actually, to read it and then look up what he'd, you know, marked in the margin and gone, yeah. oh, yeah, that's interesting. Or oh, I to mm-hmm. on that one. So, and you can't do that in the same way mm-hmm. electronically.
1: I know you can, Kindle has some clever functionality and stuff, but it's, it's not the same. Mm-hmm. Just one other th- thing on that. I know we're kind of fast approaching um, our longest podcast yet, um, but uh, despite our greatest efforts to, <laughs> to the country. Um, but but in terms of reading, really helpful in terms of like reading stuff. We talked about reading articles. You know, there are kind of articles and shorter kind of pieces that you get sent online um, or linked to on Twitter and stuff like that. And you think, oh, I want to read that. One of the things that I found really helpful, and I know Andy will approve of this because he got me onto Remarkable's. Um, but my remarkable is basically a kind of like it's it's a bit like a glorified kindle in some ways um, mm-hmm. I use it for making notes but also I can send um, pdfs to it um, and web pages to it um, but the beautiful thing is I can't go online on it there's no browser or anything else so for me um, anything I get sent I think I want to read that but I haven't got time now because I'm in that kind of process of you know going through emails um, I stick it on my kindle um, or my remarkable rather and then Andy's showing his off with his um, cool kind of sleeping cover thing Um, and then I can read it later when I've got time Mm -hmm. and I find that I'm in a different place then and because I can't click on any links because I can't click to email um, I can then digest those articles Mm -hmm. or those you know web pages in a way that I wouldn't have done Mm -hmm. if I was kind of sitting at my computer.
0: Mm -hmm. And and he's now showing us yeah the uh, various see after all his chat earlier about economic you know disparity and things like that he's using these very expensive uh, remarkable things, which are remarkable because they they replicate paper and pens, uh, which yes. is uh, <laughs> wonderful. No, but it does look like they're quite uh, uh, interesting uh, things. I think I like I said earlier right, my my techno of the early iPhone, where they, where people showed me a candle on screen rather than a real candle. I I think I prefer pen and paper, and indeed uh, physicality. But I t- I think all of those things really helpful reflections there on how uh, we can try to uh, fight for reading uh, and, and read in the right ways and read responsibly uh, in this kind of culture that we live in. Um, and <laughs> Andy's now really, ha- I just wish you could have the visual now. They're, they're both both of them. Are just They've gone off on one. They're, they're, they're showing us their gadgets. It'll
2: probably a uh, good point to bring it to an end then, I guess. One, one, yeah, one day,
0: our- one day we're gonna, I'm, my children are going to find a remarkable... Uh, device in a skip and uh, pick it up because this was Andy Bannister's remarkable device um, before he burned himself to death uh, after his wood-burning uh, business didn't quite take off. Or the venture with pork pies with Michael didn't quite take No, off, it really yeah. caught fire. That's, <laughs> That's it, yeah, yeah. Uh, excellent. Well, seeing as, as Michael has uh, helpfully me mentioned there, we have indeed surpassed the record as we have every single episode and no doubt always will uh, surpass this record of uh, exceeding the length of the podcast. So uh, our tight 20 to 30 minute podcast does seem to be creeping ever closer to a longer form. But I hope if you are still listening at this point that you have enjoyed uh, this and and found it helpful. Please do uh, like, subscribe, share uh, where you can. It'd be good to get the word out about this and for more people to be able to hear and join in the discussion. Send us some comments, tell us what you think. Send us your uh, your fan mail, send us any requests for uh, bakery uh, goods uh, that you may wish from any particular member <laughs> of, of the trio. Um, but uh, that's all for me, Aaron Edwards, Michael Ott and Andy Bannister. Farewell, see you next time. See ya. See you next time. <laughs>